Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11 says, As a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory. For what does not profit? Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And when you look at verse 11, you can't help but think of this country and its disrespect of God and the fact that our society has clearly gone in a different direction than what God would want. And in verse 13, the two evils, giving up the true water, the living water which is provided from God, the living waters, and we know that Jesus is going to use that type of reference in the New Testament, and instead have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the vanity of the religion that they replaced it with, and that's the point that's going to continue to be pressed in the second chapter as we continue tonight. Before we begin, I'm going to ask Clay to lead a word of prayer. A preview for Sunday, and I'm going to make, a, make an observation that relates to tonight. Uh, Sunday's lesson will be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and you can see faith mentioned several times in that chapter. And so just one verse, 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 5 for this reason, this is Paul speaking, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. And when you look in that chapter, and hopefully tonight we recognize not your faith, his faith, her faith, but what is my faith? As we turn back to Jeremiah, we see a group of people who were not thinking for themselves, that were influenced by other nations, as God said they would be. Who had turned from the true and living God to serve false gods. And again, the comparisons that are made in this chapter are quite interesting. The fact that even foreign nations would not do what the so-called people of God are doing. Now all of us like to think that we are the people of God. All of us like to think that we're doing what's right. But we have to take ownership of our faith. And we have to evaluate our faith according to God's word and his standard. Not by our standards, not by our judgments, but by what the Lord determines. And here are a group of people, even though the prophets were sent to them, who didn't learn from the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel, who did not learn or heed the prophets and their words when they were told what was going to happen, but continued to dig themselves in a hole and still think that somehow they are God's special people. So as we take a quick review of the second chapter, the first three verses, I wanted you to imagine being the one delivering this message. We've talked about Jeremiah's youth. We've talked about what he was going to suffer. But yet, as it says in the first chapter and throughout the book, he's going to be protected. The Lord's view of how his people have been and how they should be. And we see it here in this chapter going into the third chapter. For example, if you look at the beginning of chapter 3, 
They say if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again. Would that not land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. That's the Lord's view of what they were doing. And we get graphic descriptions about them playing the harlot. We get sex used in Jeremiah as a means to indicate how unfaithful they were. Like the adulterous wife. And we're going to see that relationship. And we see in verses 1-3 through again the consequence of disobeying God. Verses 4-5 through of the second chapter. We have a reference to the house of Jacob. These references trying to get them to recall history. Look at their history. Look at people that they claim they follow. It's the same thing we see in the New Testament. We, we are Moses' children. We are Abraham's children. David was our king. All these references, yet they weren't acting in faith as these individuals did. Questioning them about their ancestors turning from God. So we've seen this pattern over and over again. And it's interesting again, as we've made several times the point, that there's still going to be a remnant that exists, number one. So not all people buy into the bad influence of others. And secondly, the fact that even in captivity, there are going to be people who thrive and do what the Lord wants. So no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what pressures we have in our lives, we can do what's right and be acceptable to the Lord. And again, in verses 4 and 5, what was their reasoning in turning and following idols? Again, if you're just taking a look at this objectively and seeing what these idols do or don't do for you, and he's going to stay along that line of thought in the second chapter. Verses 6 through 8, they did not think about the God who led his people out of Egyptian bondage. We've talked about the history there. They did not think about the promised land that the Lord had led them to. They did not learn from God's history of punishing his people for violating his will. And, and somehow do we think in 2022 that we're immune if we don't obey his commandments? We are told what expected of us. We're told what we're supposed to do. The priests, scribes, rulers, and prophets, these leaders are going to be held responsible for their role in the desertion of the Lord's people. And, and these are people that are supposed to know better. These are people that are supposed to help people come closer to God. And help them walk in a way that's pleasing their sight. Yet they have failed in their responsibility. And again, I was just thinking about leadership. And not to belabor the point too much. Uh, today we found out the administrative changes that are going to take place next year. And, and one of the young men hired is 27 years old. He's my, uh, one of my assistant coaches. Hasn't been teaching too long. And I always chuckled. And he knows this. I told him this to his face. Here is someone. Good guy. No practical experience at all. And I don't say that out of envy or anger. I'm talking about wisdom. And the leader should have known better. How can you lead if you haven't led? How can you lead if, by your own example, you're telling other people to do one thing and you do another, the hypocrites we see in the New Testament, and Jesus takes them to task several times, or you simply don't even obey what's said? So just something to think about in terms of leadership. And then the lesson in verses 6 through 8 of walking after things that do not profit. In our daily lives, what do we do? What do we walk after? And the things that we're invested in, do they lead to profit? Or do they lead to things that 
maybe aren't good for us? Do we evaluate how we use our time? Do we redeem the time and, and understand how precious those things are? And then in verses 9 through 13, where we left off last Wednesday, again, charges, punishment, their sin was going to impact not only them, but future generations. Not that the sin carries on to the sons and grandsons. Remember that Jeremiah, when he starts prophesying, does so in the days of Josiah, who tried to do what's right, who tried to clean up a lot of the stuff, but yet, what happens when he dies? You get a king, you get a son who immediately turns. And we see that pattern over and over again. However, unfortunately, God's people, the righteous sometimes, feel the consequences of the sin of others. We live in a society where sin's all around us, and we might suffer consequences of that. But in God's sight, we can still be acceptable and still receive his blessings and still be assured of the promises that are offered to us no matter what happens. God points to specific examples to see that he is doing, he is going to do what he says. Do we believe in the promises of God, whether it is an inheritance like the promised land or the fact that we're going to be punished if we behave in a certain way? Do we take that seriously? So, for example, thinking about the Thessalonians and how quickly after three Sabbaths of reasoning, there were people who responded to the gospel. And there were people who understood what it meant to be a disciple and who understood what it meant to be part of that work there in Thessalonica. Do we understand what the Lord wants as, as us of us as a disciple and our work and what we're supposed to be doing? And then in that passage, 9 through 13, has a nation changed its gods? So he's comparing to the world who doesn't change their gods. And yet here are God's people with the true and living God, with all the information, evidence they need. I mean, if you're comparing from history, which God was victorious? It was clearly Jehovah over and over again. And yet they were choosing the worthless gods and following them. For what does not profit? And then again, he says, be astonished and afraid. Are we astonished? Are, are we afraid? It's hard to get people's attention sometimes. We're, we're so caught up in all these things. You know, Today again, teenagers with their phones and staring at the phone. And, and that's become an idol in some sense, I guess. Be very desolate. And as we, we ended, the two evils, they've forsaken God and his living waters and have tried to access their own water and it is vain, it is vanity. Any comments you have for what we've studied so far before we go into the next section? Bob? Uh, yeah. There's two points that Brother Bob made that I want to highlight. One is he said the wake-up call. And again, my fear is, is for me and for my children and for my brethren, is that we get so used to the society around us that we just start accepting and we become assimilated into it. And that's exactly what they were doing. They become like foreign nations through marriage, through idol worship. They were getting rid of their culture and accepting another culture. And that's exactly what could happen to us. And we may not even recognize what's happening to us. So we might start becoming tolerant of things that should bother us. Or we may just become accepting of it. So, so I think that's uh, the wake-up call. And then the other point, he used the word awareness. Again, being aware of our surroundings and what our influences are. And again, it's amazing, just like in Isaiah, 
we have people who think that they're right with God. They think they're God's chosen people. And, they, and then, as we know in Jeremiah, even when Jeremiah accurately tells what's going to happen, then you have prophets come along and say, oh, no, it's not going to last 70 years. And, 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 and again, and people buy into it. We can't just hear what we want to hear. We need to hear what we need to hear, which is an honest, open heart, willing to accept what the truth is. Clay, get your hand up. Well, and you certainly don't expect carnality to be brought in the church. Right. You don't expect the idols of man to be brought into the Lord's church. And we've all had experience with that type of thing. And so this should be a place, and, and this is something we talk about. You know, Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, we have an opportunity to come together and partake the Lord's Supper. We're, we're commanded to gather together. And we have an opportunity to gather the world. Tonight, we have an opportunity to get out of the world. And all the philosophy and all the news and all the information is being pressed by the world. And we have an opportunity to separate ourselves from that and talk about God. And talk about His Word and talk about what He wants from us. So you're right. And again, I think of, uh, for example, the Corinthians who, who were called to task on that because of their carnality. And, I mean, they were doing things that even the Gentiles were not doing. And here in Jeremiah, God's people are doing things that not even these foreign nations were doing. I mean, at least they were loyal to their false gods. Whereas these people couldn't even be loyal. And when I say these people, that could include us as well. And that's the point, is we need to be able to see ourselves in that as well. Yes? Those were really good cross-references. And the importance is recognizing, as Elro points these things out, that these were done well before Jeremiah. So again... The same message over and over and over again. And yet, people were not getting it. Not because the message wasn't clear. But because, as we see in this chapter, as we continue on, they wanted to follow their own way. And there's an important concept that we see in the second chapter, which goes to the point was made about the useless vessels, the, the, the cisterns, they're of no value, of no good. And that's a fact. Can we become like animals? who follow our desires, who follow our emotions, and who don't follow any type of fact. Let us emphasize the fact we were created in God's image. We were given a brain. We were given the ability to think and to reason. And the Lord continually is trying to, through His prophets and His Word, trying to reason with people. And yet, so if the message is rejected, it's not because God is lacking anything. It's because people simply don't want to hear the message. Okay, let's look at verses 14 through 19. Verse 14. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? And of course, there is a contrast there between someone who's born a slave, which means they're going to be a slave their entire lives, versus someone, let's say, who's captured or, or sold into slavery. And, and we could go to the crossroads, but we won't. Why is he plundered? Verse 15, the young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the people of Noph and Tephanus have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sahor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? In, in some reference, Euphrates there. 
Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing, that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the God of hosts. Let's make a few observations. The first is that the Lord put his people in a favorable position. So who blew it? God or the people? People did. Secondly, have you not brought this on yourself? How many of you have ever done anything to harm yourself? I mean, physically, you know, uh, left the cabinet door open, then run into it. Um, trying to take a shortcut and end up hurting myself because, again, instead of just taking the time to do it right, I tried to take a shortcut and then suffer the consequence of that. And, and the reminder that this was their choice, that it was their own choices that led them to this issue. You have forsaken the Lord your God. So there's a reality check. That's the way God views it. They may have not viewed it that way. You see that these questions using geography would make the point to that people. And so again, if you look uh, in those verses there, you can see the specific references there. And we know, for example, that Egypt is going to be talked about. Uh, so uh, Memphis and Tephanus, and of course in, in this, uh, those would be in Egypt. And you see the fact that there was going to be a reliance sometimes. They tried to make alliances with the Egyptians. They tried to make alliances with the Assyrians. If you remember back uh, when uh, Sennacherib, and before he came there, you know, they tried to stop him. And they, hey, let, let's try to work this out. Let's try to be diplomatic. And, and, and why would the Lord's people uh, continue to do that? And, and then, of course, so um, the Nile, uh, Shior, and the Euphrates was near Assyria. So when it says that they are turning to drink in verse 18, uh, that are you going to Assyria or are you going to Egypt? In other words, why are you going to foreign nations for support? The foreign nations aren't going to give you the right answer. And, and, and so that's why it's used uh, in that way there. Okay, your own wickedness will correct you. So the Lord can use the consequences we deal with as a way to hopefully, if we're rational looking at it, to correct us. Again, how many of you have been corrected because you did something that was foolish or stupid? I'm not even talking about sin. I'm just talking about something you did which you thought was a good idea and just by life experience, because of the consequence, he said, oh, this is not a good idea, right? I, I, I should have done something different, uh, you know. And, and again, we all have stories and things we can think of. Also, your backslidings will rebuke you. And this is a term that uh, isn't used much in the church anymore. If you look like in the 50s and 60s, the, the backsliding was used a lot. And, and you can imagine, you know, you're climbing up a mountain, Right? And, and you make progress. And so what's the picture there as you apply up the mountain? If you backslide, what's that mean? You're making progress, then what happens? You know, and, and, and you think about, sometimes you make progress, and then you backslide further than you made the progress, right? We all experience that. Evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. So even if they know it or, don't know it or not, they're going to know it. They're going to know that it was the wrong choice. And the fear of me is not in you. Or a, a reminder that 
Yes, we have a God of mercy and grace and love. But we also have a Lord that's going to hold us accountable. He's going to judge us. And by the way, we know that the power to judge was also given to his son Christ, right? And we know that we're going to appear before the judgment seat. So do we have a balanced approach to this? Do we think of the positive rewards, but also about the negative consequences if we don't do what we're supposed to? So for example, and this is a familiar passage to everyone, but I'm talking about us tonight as disciples and Christians applying this. When we take a look at Hebrews 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you don't know what that means about forsaking the assembly of the saints, look at verse uh, 26. For if we what? Sin willfully. There's some commentary on what was just said. So I've heard Christians argue, well, it's not important that I assemble, you know. And we're not talking about people who are, are shut in and people who are trying their best. We're talking about what here? You deliberately make the choice, right? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Now, we don't like lessons like that. Typically, right? We don't want to have to be confronted with the fact that our actions may not be acceptable for God. And, and again, so I just want you to think, and I brought this point up before, about people today who preach the gospel and preach God's word and are ridiculed by people sometimes because they're standing for the truth and they're saying the truth. Oh, but we want lessons about love. We want lessons about things that are positive. Well, isn't it loving that Christ died for us and that God is trying to save us? Isn't that loving? Isn't loving to tell someone the truth that's going to save them? Isn't that better than telling them a lie? Isn't that better than telling them that they're okay when they're not okay? So again, we have to view these things from the Lord's perspective and not from our own. Any comments on verses 14 through 19? Yes. So a fair question tonight to ask ourselves. Are we a vessel for honor or a vessel for dishonor? And again, going back to the Thessalonians, they had served what before? Before they turned to the true and living God. What did they serve previously? Idols. They were dishonored vessels, but now they're, they're made themselves. They went from dishonor to honor because they're following the true and living God, which goes to the point that was made there. Any other comments? These verses, verses 14 through 19. Okay, verse 20. For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress when on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. Is that a pretty striking picture? So what's being said there? So what had the Lord done for his people? He had broken what? The yoke and their bonds, which means he did what? He freed them. He freed them out of being enslaved. And what did they say when that happened? I will not what? Transgress. I won't transgress. But what were their actions indicating? Well, again, 
when on every high hill, so what's, what, what, what's the significance of a high hill? Well, we know that that's where a lot of idol worship took place. A high hill is somewhere where it's obvious it can be seen, right? That's another part of it. And then every green tree. So in other words, is this occurring just in one location or a small section? What, what, what's the picture being drawn here? It's prevalent. It's everywhere, right? We're seeing this everywhere. You lay down playing the harlot. Laying down pray, uh, playing the prostitute. And so again, we can proclaim one thing, but it's completely irrelevant if our actions and lives don't indicate what we're proclaiming. It's important what we do. It's important what we think. Not just important to say the right thing. Not just important to play a role. I mean, we don't want to come in among brethren and we're going to play a role. And then we go out in the world and we act just like the world. That's a game. That's exactly what they're doing. And we have to make sure that we're not doing that. Verse 21. Yet I have planted you a what? Noble or choice vine. A seed of highest quality. So again, is the Lord responsible for what they've become? No. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? So again, questions being asked to try to get the people to think about and to reason through this. Verse 22. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, you ever try to clean something up that was hard to, to clean, right? You scrub and scrub and you try different things. Yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. And, and again, we contrast that with what was said in Isaiah about uh, their garments. And we know, of course, that uh, picture is used with Christ. The ability to fully cleanse and wash us of that sin. So one is that God had bailed out his people before, right? He'd given them opportunities. Second, they said, I will not transgress. Those pledges don't mean anything. We could pledge anything. For example, we rejoice when people respond to the gospel. We should. But is that it? We respond to the gospel. We um, repent of our sins. We recognize that Christ is the Savior and then we're baptized. Is that the end of it? The next portion is very critical, isn't it? It's critical that we grow. And again, you're probably thinking of this as an example. Go ahead and turn real quick, because we know what it says here. Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, what's expected? That we what? We mature. We progress. And then we go into the next chapter of Hebrews 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. 
And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who uh, were once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put Him to an open shame. So the consequences of not progressing. The consequences, again, of not growing. The consequences of thinking that you're okay when you're not. And so again, we have to be aware of the expectation for us uh, to grow. Instead, they played the harlot. God planted the highest quality. It should have been successful if they would have taken advantage of it. Instead, they turned into what? A degenerate plant. There's a word degenerate, right? We don't use that word a lot. It's offensive. Or we don't use the word alien. We use the word alien or things of outer space and things like that, right? But again, when you go into Romans, we see about the, the Gentiles being grafted in. The vine. We know that Jesus is called uh, the true vine in the New Testament. And no amount of washing cleanses them of their iniquity. And so, again, have you ever tried to clean something and it just won't come clean no matter how hard you scrub, no matter what you use? And at some point, you just give up. But God's power, He has the ability to cleanse and make pure. But it requires a willingness on the part of the individual. He can't do it if a person won't allow God to work as intended. Any comments on 20 through 22? Albert. And, and, and your point is the same point that's made in Romans 6, which is made in this chapter. He freed us of our bonds, of our chains. And, and what does Paul warn of there? Don't become entangled in them once again. You've been freed of them. Does that make any logical sense? If any of you got out of a prison cell or you broke away from chains, would you go right back to there and say, lock me up again? No, because again, you wouldn't want to suffer through that. But again, we don't view sin the same way. We're not going to go to Romans 6 right now, but that's a really good point. Anything else, verses 20 through 22? Okay, uh, Mike, go ahead. No, uh, Mike, that's, that's a great point. And again, Paul makes some of those many same arguments in Romans about you've been freed from sin, <laughs> why don't you be entangled in once again? Do, do you, are you going to sin so grace may abound? You know, certainly not. Those types of statements. And, and like you said, and, and again, the relationship we have with God through Christ is the fact that we can be cleansed and we can repent. And that's absolutely right. So, but we have to have the ability to recognize it and to turn from it. So, so that's a really good point. Verses 23 through 25. How can you say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after the bales. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways. Uh, a camel is another word. A wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire. In her time of mating, who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not be weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. Withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst, but you said there is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens, and after them I will go. And the first reference is, of course, the sacrifices in that valley that were done to Molech. So imagine the fact that God's children 
are going to allow their children to be sacrificed to Molech. And that could be a whole lesson in terms of if we allow the world to teach our children and grandchildren, is it not similar to allowing them to be sacrificed to Molech? Where they're learning the way of the world and not the way of God. So that's that reference. And then again, you see the camel, the dromedary, the donkey, who are based on their lust, based on their instinct, not based on any reasoning. And that's exactly the way the people were acting. Uh, and then we see the fact that they are choosing to go after aliens, after foreigners. And, and we think, for example, of Solomon. Um, how was his heart turned? Who turned his heart? His wives and concubines, right? And he had a lot of them. And the influence that was allowed. And we see this pattern over and over again. And the amazing part, does this pattern, and, and Bob mentioned this earlier, does this continue after the seven year captivity? It certainly does. And that's why we see those like Ezra carrying out his beard. He can't believe what he's seeing. He can't believe. Let me just give you, since we're about to end here, a sense of this. Go ahead and turn to Ezra. Let's take a look here. Okay. Let's take a look at Ezra. Chapter 9. In verse 5, at, this is Ezra. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting. And having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord and said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face. To you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up <coughs> to the heavens. Now, verse 3 is what I was referring to as well. This is Ezra. So when I heard this thing, Again, about what the people were doing. They were taking themselves more lives. It says in verse 3, So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair on my head and beard and sat down astonished. So it goes back to the same concept earlier that God has been sent His Son that we can be free from sin and that we can change and we become the disciples He wants us to become. And yet we revert back to the very same behaviors that we're saved from. So that's just something to think about. So we'll start here next week. And I'll quickly go through this unless there are any comments. And then we'll continue on. We should be able to finish the uh, second chapter uh, next week. Yes. And, and the, the point that's made there is the fact, again, if we worship God in a way that's not authorized, we're, we're putting ourselves in, in a situation before God that is not going to be accepted. Again, we should do everything by His authority and by the pattern and information that we're getting. Appreciate all the comments tonight, and we'll start there next week.